Welcome to episode five of Hospitality Cash Flow. Thank you for joining us. I am so excited that you guys are listening in. If you guys have any questions, I hope you guys have a pen and paper. If you're driving, please don't have a pen and paper. Just make sure to keep your ears open, your mind open, and get ready to learn. Let's go. Welcome to the Hospitality Cash Flow Podcast, where you'll learn how to leverage short-term accommodations using multifamily and residential properties. With over 35 years in hospitality, real estate, technology, and sales and marketing experience, our hosts, Matt Anisis and Noble Crawford, along with an expert panel of guests, invite you to listen in as they share their knowledge, best practices, tools, and resources to help you maximize cash flow using real estate for hospitality. All right, folks, so we have a packed episode for you today. Super excited to talk to you today. We are actually doing a case study on a recent deal that we went after, and we're going to walk you through the entire process from start to finish. So for folks that are listening, maybe you're a landlord, a property owner, maybe you're a land developer, this is going to be a great, useful episode for you with a ton of information. You know, you'll be able to understand how STRs play a role in this entire deal flow process. You know, how we overcame challenges at different intervals, you know, during the project and things like that. And for you current or future STR operators or even management companies, this will give you some good insight into what the process looks like. You know, the conversations that we had, what those sound like, some of the different hot button issues we had to deal with. In addition, we have a couple of listener questions to answer. And uh, so we're going to jump right into it. Matt, am I missing anything? No, no. I, I think if you guys are um, looking to get started in this business or if you're actually an existing or current um, STR operator, I think this is going to be a great episode, especially if you're looking to scale your business. I know a lot of people are starting to jump in um, to this um, opportunity, but there's a lot of lot of little details. And I think this is going to be a perfect episode for you to learn a, a lot of different aspects, whether it's a development deal, whether it's an existing structure, a multifamily unit. So um, let's go ahead and get started. All right. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So the deal that we're talking about, this case study that we're going to talk about today is for not one property, but two properties down in Waco, Texas. So the interesting thing about Waco, Texas is that Waco would be considered, a lot of people have known Waco for the longest being the home of the Baylor Bears college, uh, college town. And so What's interesting is that over the past um, few years, there has been a lot of tour tourist activity there due to a very popular program or show on HGTV. And so I don't know if you've most, most people are familiar with the Chip and Joanna Gaines show on HGTV. And so their operation, uh, their Tourist, their tourist place, their restaurant, the silos, all of that exists there in Waco, Texas. And so, ironically enough, tourism has quadrupled over the last five years or so. And so right now, I think they're averaging about 2.5 million tourists a year, which is a little over 200,000 a month, I want to say. And so that's pretty phenomenal because... There's not enough hotel space in Waco to accommodate that amount of tourists. So uh, SDRs are, 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 good, are a good opportunity there. So with that said, 
you know, that's that's what we're talking about. So one of these properties is an existing multi-unit complex. The other one was raw land. And obviously, you know, like I said, what made the deal so appealing is the proximity to the silos. So, Matt, what I'm hoping you can do is give everyone some details, some background on this opportunity, you know, how it came about, how you learned about it and got involved with it. And then maybe we can jump into some of the challenges that arose, some underwriting roadblocks that we were hit with that we had to, you know, try and get past. And then city requirements. And then and then finally, uh, we'll, we'll kind of share with everybody where we ended up on the project. Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. So I'm, I'm really excited about sharing this opportunity because if you guys um, haven't listened to any of our other podcasts and kind of understanding um, how Noble and I actually came together and partnered up, definitely uh, recommend going to listen to some of our other episodes. Uh, we can actually drop maybe the previous episodes in the past. So I won't get into the details in that. But uh, the way this project came about was literally almost, I would say, three years ago. I was staying in Airbnb in Waco with my family visiting from California. And I was blown away. We were staying in, I think it was a, uh, a I think an eight unit uh, community, not too far from the silos as well. It was upgraded. It was probably, you know, 25 year old little eight unit. And I was just blown away. I was, I asked my mom, you know, how much they spent on this Airbnb. She told me and me coming from a multifamily uh, background, um, looking to always have value add opportunities. Uh, I just was like putting two and two together. And so with that being said, I literally that night we were staying in the Airbnb three years ago, I started looking for apartments and I started looking for apartments in the area because at this point I've been in Waco um, about five years prior. And if you guys have been in Waco or if you haven't, Noble just gave you some phenomenal statistics and it just continues to grow because of the couple Chip and Joanna Gain. So unbelievable. And so with that being said, I literally shot an email to a, a good friend of mine about 1130 at night, asked if he had any apartments for sale in the Waco area because I knew he was just getting started in this particular um, submarket. And literally, I, I was just looking for deals and I came across an incredible deal. Um, and I was just blown away. I started running numbers. I even think I shot Noble a text also that night. And he 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 said it was interesting. And then I think several days later, he texted me a whole bunch of crazy statistics. And yet, remind you, this is almost three years ago, guys. And uh, these statistics have doubled since Noble um, just shared with you. So anyways, I started doing my typical underwriting for multifamily uh, community acquisition. And the numbers didn't necessarily make sense. But when I factored in the opportunity to incorporate the STR model, numbers started to make sense. And it was going to take unique, creative operators to attack a project, something similar to this. And I, I started poking the holes to some, some, some partners um, and nothing, nothing, literally no one was biting the fish. No one liked the market and then no one was looking there. And so, uh, that was it. I just kind of just left it on the back burner and that was, that was it. Well, fast forward another six to eight months. Um, the deal was still available and I think Noble and I were starting, we were continuing to grow our relationship and I was continuing to learn about the STR model and literally, I was at a conference at 10X GrowthCon literally a year ago, actually. It was almost a year. It was over a year. No, I'm sorry. Two years ago. Sorry, my, my years are all messed up, 
ladies and gentlemen. But um, the, the deal was still available. And I went after it. I had partners that wanted to go after it. And we attacked it. And we attacked it with the thought of using the SDR model. So I a, had to convince my partners that we were going to come in and implement this strategy because that was the only way this deal actually made sense. And we'll kind of get in a little bit of the numbers in just a little bit. And we went after it. Well, what happened was someone else took it from us and we, we lost. We lost the opportunity. Someone put it under contract before we did. And that was it. Well, fast forward another seven months. I stayed in touch with that broker. We uh, stay communicated and I get a random call from him. I'm about 24 hours before the deal was about to um, not close the current group that was uh, going to purchase. They decided to uh, not pursue it. And my opportunity was up again. And this time we went full throttle within two weeks. We had it under contract and we were moving forward. And the, the deal was better and better because if you guys know of opportunity land, there's there was a huge need for that. There, a lot of investors were looking for land that was opportunity. And we also were going to get uh, an opportunity to build an additional uh, over 90 units at this property. So with that being said, Noble, I want to maybe ask you um, if I'm missing a little bit of the details or if there's something you want me to, to kind of jump in and add, if you want me to just keep going through. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you double back around and the opportunity was still there, uh, you know, after it fell through with the, you know, with the first set of investors that were looking at it, you know, how did you go about putting the team together? And how did you select who, you know, who would be part of that team? And like, what, what did that whole process look like? And how did you get them involved and get them interested in, in the project? Absolutely. Well, um, for, for, for anything, I think for, for anyone that's listening to this, we're always trying to add value to, um, to partners, whether it's investors, whether they're buyers, whether they're passive investors, whomever it may be. Well, during this time, I, I knew uh, some cur- key people that were looking to get involved in Opportunity Zone um, to develop. And I also knew that I had creative partners that thought outside the box that weren't just focused on B and C value add, but were, you know, obviously I think most people want to get in development for the most part, and they want to get into class A apartment communities um, as investors. And so there, this this happened to be that unique opportunity. We were able to get a really good deal on a class A property. Um, simultaneously, we we're going to have an opportunity to get turnkey blueprint plans and so forth to build an additional, you know, ninety plus units. And you know, there was just a lot of there was just a lot of synergy with some of the partners that we had. Um, of, of course, it all boiled down to you know years and time of relationship building and you know networking and growing and nurturing those relationships to get, even get it to that point. Because as anyone knows, when you're doing any kind of uh, real estate, there's there's a lot of team components and a lot of partners and, and required and needed and and so forth. So that was all kind of put together pretty quickly. But what what made the deal so unique was the the partners they you know they were just out of the bot things i'm just going to throw a number out here i actually was pulled up the cash flow projections and just to kind of give you guys an idea how this deal made sense was the traditional renter that this property would have accumulated and this is just i believe just for one unit 
was going to be $75,000. Well, with our model, and this is very conservative underwriting. I mean, these projected occupancy numbers we're looking at, I mean, I think our average is anywhere from 60 to 7%. Okay. And our short-term partnership, we were going to have that revenue at $139,000. 75, your traditional, we were going to come in at $139,000. So if you guys are familiar with multifamily communities uh, and looking to increase, whether you're a developer, your value add, whatever it may be, you can see the value add that you just increased to your property. Now, if you're an STR, just getting started or seasoned, you can see the value of scaling with this model and being able to get into a community where you can have multiple units. Now, then the trick comes with a lot of the little details and so forth. So does that help a little bit, Noble, you think, for our listeners to kind of get a little bit of understanding of that deal so far? That was perfect. That was perfect. So, you know, my next question is, so you 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 found who's going to be a part of the team and you've piqued their interest. Obviously, they were interested. And and then at some point, I think we we all ended up meeting at the project site. Is that? Yep. Yep. That correct? Yep. That, that's correct. I remember doing that. It was it was a great meetup. And, I, you know, it was really unique because there was questions that my partners asked you that I never I didn't even think of. Um, and so kind of caught, I think, maybe you off guard or even myself off guard. But they were great questions, and it's always great because when you have multiple, you know, thought leaders and minds and business owners, of course, that's the power of masterminds. But that just kind of opened up a can of worms, and for us to kind of be a little bit either uh, prepared for some of these questions. But we, 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 you handled them because you're you're were at this point and still this point. You are the expert in this 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 field and know all the nuances that whether you're brand new or a seasoned. Every every deal, every city, everything's going to be different. And that's something that we came about as we were doing the deal. And, you know, as I went into the underwriting, I was doing my best to be very conservative with the with the, the project as well, because um, it had a big impact on on the project and the deal and everything. Got it. So I think if I remember correctly, when the investors, the other investors were showing some initial signs of interest. They had some questions for me regarding the STR component. And so we jumped on a a group call and they hit me with, with quite a few questions. There was a number of questions there. They wanted to they wanted to know uh, different things like, you know, how how are the guests vetted? You know, tenant concerns, you know, about safety, so on and so forth, you know, how guest issues are handled and stuff like that. There was a number of different things we covered. I think what I'll do, Matt, is I'm going to, because I think I have uh, a recording of that call or at least a part of it. And so I'm going to drop, I'm going to drop the part of the recording in the call so the listeners can hear what some of those questions and answers were. I think that'll be very helpful for that. trying to think how do you guys vet your short-term runners so a couple of different things with that it depends on how those uh, how those short-term uh guests are coming to us it depends on the platform in which they're coming to us um so we do take direct bookings 
Uh, we do work with what are called OTAs, which is the online travel agencies, you know, some of the more common ones. Um, and so it depends. So I'll give you an example. Um, so for, you know, Airbnb operates differently than, say, like uh, Booking.com, when you're talking about the short-term rental slash vacation rental space. Um, and so Airbnb has certain requirements of us as hosts of what we can and can't do, per se, to a certain degree um, with a guest, okay? Whereas Booking.com is very hands-off, and it's up to you to vet that guest. And so depending on which platform they come to will determine how that happens. If they come to us from Booking.com, we're able to go ahead and, you know, we, we utilize some software where we're able to basically just ensure that, um, you know, they don't have a significant uh, criminal activity in their history, um, no child predator, things like that. Um, and, and, and that's how, that's how we can kind of manage that guest that comes from that platform. When we're dealing with something like an Airbnb, um, then we have to be a little bit more careful about how we do it because there's certain things that Airbnb may not allow like they you know they may not allow you allow you to ask certain questions of the guests prior to them booking okay now at the end of the day those channels are all marketing channels and that's how we use them ultimately we make the final decision whether or not we are going to allow a guest in one of our units um and so we that process you know we i'm sorry Excuse me. I said, walk me through that process because we've, uh, from 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 what I've heard, this is the biggest issue we're going to run into, is you know putting putting a company or putting something like this in with long term tenants who ultimately value safety above and beyond everything else, and you know we may be able to separate out to the best of our ability, the rooms that we're, that we're renting in this capacity. But realistically, you know, you could be on the same floor as other tenants. And we're going to be getting the questions like, am I safe? There's people coming in and out all the time. And I need to have a concrete answer. And, you know, basically what we've been talking to uh, other companies about and mad about is, you know, all right, let's the, some of the other companies are using, they pull reports on credit history. So the credit card that's used to book the property, they can see, you know, that there's no uh, heavy spikes in usage. So, you know, that that person's a relatively, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? a relatively safe tenant from that, from that aspect. They're not out blowing money, doing stupid stuff. And they, they're also able to do a, uh, what was it? Uh, an email check. Uh -huh. and, and they're able to pull background from that individual email address. Cause most people nowadays have had their email addresses for, for long periods of time and see if that email address is tied to any other, uh, negative activities. I just want to make sure that before we do something like this, ultimately our, our tenant base is priority number one. And then, you know, having, having you guys coming in and out all the time would be priority number two, because if we lose, if we lose one of our tenants, that costs us a lot of money to get that up and get that over and 
we just want to make sure that everybody feels safe. So if you could walk me through, you know, precisely what you guys are doing and what it checks and why it checks it and, and, and how that protects the tenant, that would help me feel more comfortable. Got it. Got it. Okay. So basically the, what you've outlined and what you heard from other companies, a lot of that stuff is performed, um, automatically through software. Okay. And so that's no different than what we do. Okay. So if we get an inquiry, you know, from a guest, whether it's a direct inquiry, whether it's coming through a channel, um, and I'll explain to you the difference the way Airbnb handles this in a minute. But if we get an inquiry from a guest, um, the first thing we have a we we have systems and processes in place that automate a lot of stuff on the front end. So the first thing that happen is an automated uh, response is sent out to that guest saying that yes, we did receive your inquiry, and yes, we will uh, contact you and we will let you know uh, we will contact you and confirm availability along with the price, along with our terms and conditions, okay? Now, in our terms and conditions that go out, the guest has to sign off on that and accept that, but in those terms and conditions allows us as the host company to run a full background on that client, okay? Or okay. on that guest, on that, potential, on that potential guest, okay? So that's something that we established up front at the very beginning of the inquiry, and then we go ahead and execute as a part of our process pre-booking steps where we go ahead and we run that check. And again, we're checking for, um, we're checking for things like, uh, like, like criminal activity history. We're checking for, um, any issues of, uh, violent, violent history. Uh, we're checking for fraud and we're also checking for like, um, child, uh, you know, like, uh, child predator type stuff, um, in, in, in the background. Okay. And so once that process is completed and that checks out, then we'll go ahead and we'll initiate the, uh, the, the payment process. We're collecting payment from the guest up front. Okay. Now, depending on how that guest comes to us, that, that payment may be a 50% payment up front. It may be a, a payment in full up front, but we're collecting that up front. Now, when we collect that, again, part of our automated process is, um, and, and also which is outlined in our terms and conditions, is the ability for us to retain the credit card information, okay, on our end, on the guest behalf. Okay, now the only way, the only time that that doesn't happen is if a, if a guest is booking internationally from, uh, you know, from the EU, and then there's some data and, and privacy laws in place that we have to work around for that. But outside of that, we're holding that credit card information. We're running that uh, um not the charge, but we're running the uh, the uh, pre-approval, I guess you would say, through our credit card processor. At that time, we will get notified if that credit card checks out with the guest name, the guest address, and also against the email address. Okay, so we're running all of those checks through our credit card processor. So when we find that check, we'll go ahead and do the authorization for you know, whether that's the 50% or whether it's the entire amount. Okay. Now that varies depending on how close to arrival that the guest is making the reservation or making the booking. If the guest is, uh, I want to say if the guest is more than seven days out or seven days or less, we're, we're doing it for the full amount. We're running the entire check and, and, and capturing that information and billing them for the full amount. And it's non-refundable. 
Okay, so that means we get paid, you get paid, even if the guest cancels. And then seven days and out, it works a little bit differently. But then after we do that, then at that now at this point, keep in mind we have not released the property information to the guest. So the guest does not even have the address of where they're staying. They have a general idea, but they don't have the actual physical address. Okay. So then after we've done that, we've processed that and it's been approved. Then we'll go ahead and we sub- we send out automatically again, we'll send out the booking confirmation to the guest. Okay. And then in the booking confirmation to the guest, there are also um, basically property rules, property rules and regulations that'll be part of that booking, uh, that booking confirmation. And the guest uh, has to agree to those um, prior to getting closer to arrival, prior to getting access entry code. Okay. So all of that's done on the front end. Okay. Now, now it's, now it's within a week of the guest arrival. So again, we have an automated process. We start sending out uh, updated information about the guest arrival. So we prep the guests on what they can expect uh, to receive to uh, from us leading up to arrival. 48 hours prior to arrival, we are welcoming the guests. We're sending a welcome email. We're asking the guests if there's special needs that we need to accommodate, that sort of thing. Then 24 hours prior to arrival, at that point in time, the guest is given the address. Obviously, they need it by then because of planning, uh, you know, whether they're Ubering, renting a car, whatever, they need physical address, they need to know exactly where they're going to on day of arrival. 24 hours prior, they're receiving that information. Okay. Now, the day of check-in, the day of check-in, the guest will get what's called entry access codes. Entry access codes are the codes that they're going to use to either access a lockbox, access a, a digital keypad, whatever the access criteria is for that specific property. Okay. Now, that code, typically nine times out of 10, unless it's a hard lockbox with a key, typically nine times out of 10, that code is specific to that guest. Okay. And so that code is only active uh, at the time of arrival. And it automatically deactivates at the time of checkout. So the guest cannot come onto the property early. The guest cannot show up and gain access prior to, to that time. Um, and so that's, that's, that's a, that's a built-in safety feature. And so at the time that the, uh, the guest arrives on property, uh, there's a welcome message and there's also a check-in process and the check-in process. And this is all electronic. So the check-in process is done uh, via phone, tablet, what have you. And the guest checks in remotely using uh, an email address that we capture yet again. And that email address is checked against the guest profile, or it can allow them to log on via Facebook, which checks checks them against their guest profile again that we've already captured. Okay. And so once they checked in and registered themselves as checked into the property, then we began to kind of nurture them throughout their set. And then they, they have complete access to our team. Okay. So we have a community manager that we use, which is kind of our, 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 our runner for lack of a better word. So that person handles any, any check-in or check-out issues, handles any uh, guest inquiry issues while they're on site, handles any problem type situations. Okay. And so, Community managers are kind of like regional, so depending on where the units are, and so that person is would be the would be the face and on-site 
contact, if they need to go on site for whatever reason, and typically our lead time for getting from wherever to on site is within the hour. Um, and that's a practice that we put in place. And so if there's an issue, we do things uh, that some others may or may not do. Some folks do it, some, some don't. But we, we have noise, noise monitors in the unit. So we, we track automatically decibel level because we don't allow parties and we don't allow events in our unit. So we're able to track that. Um, we also have um, uh, smoking detectors. So we can track cigarette and marijuana smoke because we don't allow any smoking of any kind in our, in our unit. And if something does occur, we would be we receive a notification. We'll be able to address it immediately and deal with it. Um, we track. Um, so we a lot of our units have uh, exterior mounted um, like doorbell cameras, so that we can verify physically that the guest that has arrived at that specific check-in time is the guest that made the reservation. Because we don't allow third-party reservations. We don't allow somebody to make a reservation for someone else. The guest that makes the reservation has to be the primary guest staying. And so our our kind of on-site security triple check uh, may, may, may come in the form of one of those uh, exterior door cameras. Okay? And then, um, so all of those kind of come into play to help us manage the guests and also uh, provide us with automatic feedback. Should something, should, should something come up so that we can be proactive in our response instead of, instead of reactive. Um, and then, you know, between that, uh, the, the community managers going on site if and when necessary, and then our cleaners coming up on the back end, these professional cleaning staff, they come in like any, any other company would send them in and get the units back in the photo-ready condition at the end of every stay. Um, and then we turn it and we do the whole process again. And so that's kind of a point A to point Z that, that we'll go through for, for just about every guest. Now, again, Airbnb, there's a little bit of differences in how we communicate um, because of their requirements. But essentially, um, the, the, the result is the same. Um, so we have instances where one guest brought a pet um, and we found out, we found out because of our exterior camera at the unit. Uh, we had an instance where a guest was beginning to form what looked like the makings of a party, and we were able to stop that before it uh, before it happened. And we were also able to um, catch a guest uh, smoking uh, at the unit. And these are because of all the systems and processes that we have in place, and we were able to deal with that. And typically, those come in the form of when we deal with those. Those come in the form of additional revenue coming in because they're hit with a, you know, they're, they're paying, I didn't mention, but they're paying a security deposit up front that, that we do an authorization for. And it can range from 250 to typically 450. Okay, so we're, we're pulling money out of that security deposit if there's an infraction um, and or we're removing the guest immediately. Um, and so that, that, that's what enables us to manage not only the, the guest and their guest expectation. But also, we, you know, we have a good neighbor policy. We want to be, um, you know, we want to be at all times. We want to be uh, 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 friendly and hospitable and and uh, and a good service provider to the communities that we're in, to the, uh, you know, to the uh, property management or ownership or what have you. And so, so those are the types of things that we put into place to uh, address any issues and certainly to uh, 
prevent any issues from occurring. Okay. So did that answer your question? I kind of rambled. No, it did. So I think I went and I, I answered their questions enough to satisfy their concerns or their curiosity or whatever the case was. And then the next step was the actual meeting. And if I remember correctly, because they were out of state, they flew flew down to, you know, go see the property, go see the land, the the surrounding area, that sort of thing before we we met up together. Is that, yep. Was that that yep. sound about right? Mm-hmm. Cool. So, so then we met up. That part of the process was important because they they knew you, but they didn't know me, and so that gave me an opportunity to get to know them a little bit, build some rapport. Um, you know, the, like the saying goes, people want to do business with those they know, like, and trust, and so that was a pretty important element for me just to get in front of them and get some face time with them, and get to know them, um, and then answer some additional questions as well. And then I think from from that point the process really started where, and, and, and you'll have to give some context to this, but that's when the process started with getting the, putting the financing in place and, and all of that. So can you walk through like a little bit of that? And then maybe I'll circle back around and talk about the city and how in that component. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when we, ha- when we put this thing under contract, you know, a big factor of, of some of our other income and just revenue, it, it did, it did involve short-term rental. And, you know, there were a lot of different factors involved in this. I mean, it was a, a huge learning curve. Um, and one of the things that, you know, I haven't learned throughout the process was, you know, some lenders, um, they don't like STRs. Some lenders do. Um, multiple reasons behind it. Uh, you know, the, the there's so many nuances that people, you know, when you go into something this big, um, and, and big is when I'm, I mean, we weren't going to be taking a lot of units, but, you know, the impact it has on the value because you're increasing the NOI, the, the net operating income for you guys that know, know NOI is, it, it was so dramatic. But also the other factor of this deal was, you know, I underwrote this deal as um, just on the cash flow of the apartment, just the apartment. There was, there was another component to this project. Um, there was some retail space involved as well. It was a very, very unique, uh, you know, acquisition. And the retail component essentially kind of really put the big burden on everything because, you know, it, the, the current owner, you know, wasn't utilizing the retail and, you know, they weren't utilizing it because they were just looking to, they were at a place where they were looking to sell and they weren't looking to, you know, get, businesses in their in their location so that kind of messed up a lot of the numbers for our lending um because there was just missing income from these retail locations well the deal still made sense for cash flow with the str model and that again that's the biggest part of this deal for you guys that are listening um you know a there was a, a big risk but Knowing what Waco is doing, knowing the numbers that are transpiring and knowing, I mean, there were so many things that happened just internally being down there working with a lot of the local banks and lo- the local people like there there are now, you know, hotels being developed. And if you guys have been in Waco recently, you know, the, it's just it's growing the highways and, and there's just so many factors um, that are happening because they're trying to improve, you know, the 
the the city because of all the all the visitors and the tourists. So, yeah, pretty crazy. Absolutely. So, I, and I, and if I recall correctly, I think that um, at the time, the so one of the things we look at is the city ordinances and the the regulations of the different municipalities and what they will allow for short term accommodations and and that model. And so for the city of Waco at the time they had for multi multifamily properties, they had a allotment that they would allow of five percent. Okay, so so that was as many short term rental units that you could have in a multifamily building or multifamily property, I should say was 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 maxed out at five percent and so there was a cap on really what we could what we could do in not only the existing building but in the you know newly constructed building as well and so although that cap was as small as five percent you know you like you said it still had a, a pretty significant impact to to the to the final numbers and to the noi and so I think that's important for the listeners to understand because you want to take into consideration the city that you're in, what they will allow, different things like that. Now, what was unique was that, and, and I won't go into too much, but what was unique was that, you know, we were looking at an, a potential opportunity to get uh, a, approval from, to go to the city and get approval from the city for a variance. For this, and so um, you know, so 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 there there's there's different things that you can do to kind of work through that process. But uh, Matt, if you can pick it back up and kind of just explain, you know, what where we went after that, you know, how how far into the deal we went, the the last few challenges we ended up before everything wrapped. Absolutely. So it, it, what what ended up happening, and and is we actually had to. St- change the underwriting uh, a little, quite a bit because we didn't incorporate the STR income. Um, even though it was a very small amount of units we were going to be using, we, we didn't use that income uh, anymore. anymore. And then also the, the retail factor really came in and played a big factor, not having um, those already leased and not even pre-leased and just a lot of little miscellaneous income. And at the end of the day, it boiled down to not enough income and the lenders being afraid of that. Um, and, and not even necessarily the lenders. The, then we finally got the lending taken care of, but then it boiled down to um, within, I don't know, I think it was 14 days to be exact uh, till our close date. We had a big equity partner uh, pivot last minute and it, it just changed the dynamics, of course so quick that it just was like we 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 couldn't do anything traditional cynic we couldn't do the traditional syndication model we were literally kind of keeping it was going to be a pretty small raise and it was just it changed everything and within 14 days it we we did everything we could to the, literally the last second of our final uh close date and it it was it was just too wild not enough time to to make make it come together and come to fruition and you know missed opportunity and that's kind of what ended up happening at the end of all of this we we didn't get these units we missed out on this opportunity 
Um, but we've gained a wealth of knowledge and a wealth of, you know, now as we continue to scale, as we continue to look for these unique partnerships, whether they're developers, whether they're uh, class A owners or even um, class B, if you're a, a B class. So it, it taught us a whole lot um, that, you know, never I never personally learned as I'm acquiring. So it gave me a whole new tool as I'm acquiring um, apartment communities. One of the things that I learned was that, again, there's so many moving parts involved that it's good to be involved on the front end as early in the process as possible in regards to a new property acquisition or development and being able to you know, provide some insight to, to, to the partners that are involved um, and deal, you know, an- answer questions, you know, relieve any concerns that may be there, that sort of thing. And so, so I learned a ton as well. Like you said, ultimately the, the, the deal fell through at the 11th hour. Uh, but as I understand it, um, you know, there may still be an opportunity there to circle back around to it. And uh, so we're, we're armed with a, a quite a bit of, information at this point and and we know what to expect going in so i think that's pretty important so man i want to just uh, be respectful of folks time um i did want to uh, pivot a little bit and i know we had some questions come in through the through our email and so again if you if you guys have have questions send us an email at podcast at hospitalitycashflow.com and we will answer those questions on an upcoming episode. But I did want to get to a relevant question that we had come in actually. And let's see, I do not know if I, I did not capture the name of the person who submitted this question, but I think it's relevant to today's episode. And that question was, do you have any tactical strategies or tools uh, you use when one you are you initiate a build you you uh, initiate building a relationship with a developer and two maintaining the relationship through the deal process? And I think we talked a little bit about this in the last episode where we were talking about you know establishing strategic partnerships and what's involved in that. But Matt, maybe you could. Maybe you could speak to, um, you know, the the relationship building piece with, you know, other investors, partners, developers, that that sort of thing, and what you do to build that relationship and then to maintain that relationship once once it's started. Absolutely. So, um, initiating and building a relationship with the developer. So, if you're getting started and you're if you're wanting to have tactical advice, especially if you're going after um, STR strategy and you want to go into new construction. That's, that, that relationship is going to be an everlasting relationship building tool that you're going to want to do because what happens is in development process, and, and most people don't know this, but most developers, when they build brand new apartment communities, they're literally building them to sell them right out the gate. So they're typically looking to lease them up really quick. And most of the time 
you know, it's a great opportunity for STRs because, you know, it helps with their lease up. Now, it's very, you have to be very strategic and thoughtful. And, you know, obviously you want to operate ethical and have the highest integrity and all that good stuff, because it also goes into you're, you're, you're helping the developer pre-sell their community to that next investor. So it, it, it's a catch-20. They're, they're going to obviously, A, they're going to fill up their spaces, but then, A, they're also they're going to be able, be able to increase their NOI and and have that, that income. So that relationship, the initiation, the building is you literally just want to find out what you can do to help and literally just truly, truly focus on that relationship and not so much on the on the the money aspect or how you're going to make money. Cause at the end of the day, guess what? If the deal doesn't come together, guess what? You have a relationship and that's at the end of the day, the most important piece of, in my opinion, business is relationships because you know, you, you, there's so many different ways to make money. There's so many things that can happen, but that relationship is always going to be there no matter what for your personal business. Um, and that, that can carry on forever. So just focus on just the relationship and, how you can truly add value because you might, they might be restricted. Like you mentioned earlier with the city, they might be have restrictions on, on STRs at that location. But if you're truly focused on the relationship, you never know. They might be building in Florida and in Colorado. And guess what? Colorado's open. You can be, you can have, you know, and I, I don't know if this is true, but you can have STRs, you know, unlimited, right. Versus somewhere else where it's, it, it's restricted. So, Focus just on the relationship um, because business talks always going to come about no matter what, because that, that just always does. So hope that helps. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's awesome advice. And I would say just to add a quick point to that, one of the things that I did early on is to just to get in the vicinity of people that I was interested in potentially doing business with was attend events. Mm, yeah. Yep. And so, you know, that, that matter of fact, Matt, that's where you and I met. We met at an event. Mm-hmm. And so and and just the, the relationship has developed over time. And so that that's my number one recommendation is to is to get out there, actually meet with people and connect with people in person and, and go from there. And so so lastly, Matt, before we wrap up, I did want to, uh, you know, there there may be some as, as I mentioned uh, a, a bit ago, this particular opportunity that, that, that you kind of talked about, there still may be some potential for this opportunity to come back around. And uh, and so, you know, if there's an investors that uh, or, or developers or, you know, other other folks that are interested in, you know, maybe becoming a part of this 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 opportunity, um, would, would you you think they should just email you, Matt? What's the best way for them to contact you? No, I, I would say if you guys are looking to uh, get some assistance or be a part of this opportunity, I would just go ahead and email me at matt at shorttermresidences.com. And I will we'll have all the info in the in the links in the bottom if you're listening to this. Um, but Matt at shorttermresidences.com. Got it. So there you go, folks. So I think the takeaway for today is is uh, you know really just to you know first of all build relationships, look for those opportunities, learn from the opportunities, even if they don't come to fruition or they don't close, uh, because more often than not 
they'll re you know, represent themselves or you'll have new opportunities come back around and you'll be armed with a wealth of information. So take advantage of that. And I think that's about all the time that we have for this particular episode. We appreciate you guys listening to the show. Uh, we appreciate you um, sending in questions. Again, if you have questions, send us an email podcast at hospitalitycashflow.com and we'll answer them on an upcoming episode. And until next time, we will see you later. Have a great day, guys. Peace. Thanks for listening to the show. Tune in next week to learn more about using real estate for hospitality cash flow. If you received value from this episode, please leave a rating and review. This helps the show reach more listeners. We truly appreciate your support.